Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Netflix Roulette. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on this fine evening, David Luzader. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm just going through the, uh, let's see, everybody who put in a bet. And it looks like Corey Scott wins for Sean Bean dying in the first 10 minutes. Congratulations. (laughs) Was this a bet? (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm making things up. Well, shout out to Corey Scott all the same. Uh, man, what a bummer. I, I hadn't seen this before, and I'm like, maybe I'll get to see him be alive for a oh, while. No. Not the case. No, no, no. Not the case. No, no, no. Uh, Nicole Davis, that's a wonderful sound. Nicole Davis, how are you? Uh, confused, apparently, because I've been uh, sense offending with this nice Shiraz here and um, my nice, warm, toasty, fuzzy socks. Um, Yeah. But you know what? That's part of life. That's part of being alive. That's part of the point of living. I know. Oh, my gosh. I just want to rip down the barrier between me and the beautiful outside world, literally and metaphorically. Good thing I can do it in Equilibrium came out in 2002. Uh, that was our Netflix roulette pick. For those unfamiliar, uh, Netflix roulette is where we spin the wheel and it spits something out at us. And it's always something weird for the most part, but sometimes we get something like this, which is surprisingly a well-known movie. Uh, and if you're familiar with how that works, uh, we've mentioned this a couple times on the show. All three of us spin a wheel. I feel like that's worth mentioning a little bit of the process. We all spin a wheel. Uh, that way we don't land on something totally inappropriate or something like that, or a documentary that is 50 minutes long. And then we pick between those three. So Equilibrium won out this time. Uh, Next week is a future classics pick. It's my pick. It is a pick where you have to have picked a film that has come out in the last decade. So at this point, 2010 and onward, that you believe in some capacity will be a future classic. And because I am a professional, I'm going to edit it in because I forgot to pick one and I'm not ready to do it at this point on the show. Future me, what are we watching? We will be watching the 2013 Coen Brothers film Inside Lewin Davis. There we go. That's what we're watching. Oh, I'm Brett, not even going to attempt so to make many, that smooth. I have so many thoughts on that movie. I'm going to have to <laughs> so save them for next week. Very many. Uh, but that's what we are going to be watching for future classics next week. But this week, 2002's Equilibrium. In an oppressive future where all forms of emotion are illegal, a man in charge of enforcing the law against sense offenders accidentally goes off his emotion-suppressing drugs and discovers the rush of true feeling. He then becomes determined to act against the system and state. Both of you had seen this before, and both of you were very yeah. excited when it when it landed in our spinner. Why? Uh, yes. <laughs> I think I was more excited for you to see it for the first time. Uh, more than anything. I mean, it's it's a, it's a movie that you know, I, I enjoy and I've seen a few times over the years, but just the fact that you hadn't seen it, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun to discuss it from a, like a fresh angle. Cause it's a movie that, you know, you can't think about the plot too much. And the more you see it, (laughs) the more you think about the plot. (laughs) So I I could say it's somewhat, well, first of all, Nicole, why, why were you excited? 
Yeah, partly for the same reason David was. I was I was excited for you to see it for the first time because this is one of those movies where either you've heard of it and you've seen it and you've enjoyed it, or you haven't heard of it at all. Uh, that's those are generally the two camps that I've noticed when it comes to this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just this movie is so much like one person's vision. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. how it happened that Kurt Wimmer was given <laughs> the money and the license and just the cast for this. And, Seriously. Um, he was, it was very clear that he was able to do what he wanted with it. It's very much one voice and it's a voice that's ripping off like five other voices, but it's doing it with a lot of style. So, I mean, this movie does have style in spades it's beautifully shot it's very pretty to look at it's got a good cast in it this you know and it's dumb and i don't care (laughs) this movie it's so funny because you had people shortly after this movie came out that were like well if it hadn't come out so close to the matrix then you look at the year and it's like no there's a diff there's like a few years difference the matrix didn't affect it that much no no the matrix also looks better I think the Matrix holds up better than this movie does, uh, it, visually. Oh, anyway, it holds up. Better. I mean, <laughs> this movie was so much fun for me because it's it's oh god, it's everything I love. It's it's watching actors that I know are so much better than this, slumming it in a, in a role like this <laughs> with uh, Christian Bale. Um, it is so zany in its in its plot and its justification of itself. In terms of what it, what it considers to be emotions I, and and how this how this whole structure of society is supposed to even work, um, it just hit all the right so cylinders of dumb for me. I have uh, so many questions it. about how this society works. Why does the family unit exist? That was my if, yeah. I, I was going to ask that. How do people get married? Okay, I'm like, glad that we all had this thought. <laughs> if you don't, don't fall understand. in love, what's the process? I, I mean, I understand. I understand reproduction as part of this society, but sure. I don't. But there's no emotional component to it. You would just like you would basically, I guess, put in a number. You would draw a lottery, and it's like, well, it's your time to breed, uh, which is you know the <laughs> sexiest language anyone's ever said. Yeah, and then, and then, why would you live together in that family unit? Like, just so yes, I understand. Well, like living with the, the children. Labor. Uh, oh, maybe, maybe that's part but, of it. Like, but sure. like, like, in an emotionalist society, children should just be raised by the state. I feel like this movie, perhaps not since uh, the movie where Matthew McConaughey rides around in a tank. I'm blanking on the name. Rain of Fire. Rain of Fire. Not since Rain of Fire will will has a movie elicited so many shores to me, which is like become a calling card <laughs> of this show at, at times. Uh, okay, so well, both of them are 2002 movies. Let's just I just real quick before we get too far into this, <laughs> which would you rather watch, Rain of Fire or Equilibrium? <laughs> oh, they're both glori- like gloriously stupid for different reasons. <laughs> I know, and that's what makes it so hard. <laughs> I, I think I, I think I prefer Rain of Fire in the sense that it's more mm. than just like seeing Christian Bale and a couple other people. Like Rain of Fire is like five or six high profile action stars of recent memory in Rain and of Fire. And it has dragons in it. 
It's it got does dragons. have dragons in it. Yeah, but, but not to, not to derail. We'll talk a little bit about uh, <laughs> this this movie for the and next its lack hour. of dragons. And it's a lack of dragons. Uh, no, <laughs> so it's, disappointing. It's a society where emotion is not allowed. And Nicole, you put in our docket. How many works of dystopian science fiction can you rip off in one movie? The answer is all of them. More this or less, is Fahrenheit yeah. four fifty one. This is God. It's just so many. It's just Metropolis, Metropolis. nineteen eighty four. Oh yeah, uh, it's also all of them. Just a, a smattering of Triumph of the Will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it, father. It's, it's 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 art is not allowed. Individual individuality is not allowed. Just. It is all of those things that we talk about in dystopian future fiction. It's just like, yep, just put it all in one and guns. Okay. Gun foo. Yeah. I don't. Gun kata. Gun kata. Yes. Gun kata. But yeah, and I mean, this goes straight into the next topic, though, which is what constitutes emotional expression because apparently pillows are contraband. You know, like a physical uh, mirror comfort frames. is yes. a feeling. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, there's there's so many instances in this movie where there's just they play it so fast and loose with what is allowed because there's instances yeah. where people are are scared and they're calling out like oh shit when he's about to do something and go all gung fu on them. Um, people are sadistically happy with their own. Uh, burning of of books and art and that sort of thing like there is so much of a gray area on what kind of emotion you're allowed to have and i think the answer is that the acting is just bad well oh hold up (laughs) oh no i aside from christian bale and the leads i think the uh, let me specify i think the acting of the secondary extra characters is not great okay Uh, I mean, how many? How much time do we really get with them? I mean, we spend most of our time with Christian Bale, with Tay Diggs, with Angus McFadden, William Fickner is in this movie. Yeah. And all, like, all of them are taking the subject matter seriously enough that I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm for this ride. Like, none of them are winking at the camera. And I, it's to the benefit. And uh, for what little bit we get him, Sean Bean. Right. Yeah. But, but there I mean, is very much an element of like, wouldn't you, if you're directing this movie, wouldn't the first thing you do be like, tell people not to smirk at each other? Yeah. I mean, Angus McFadden is, or McFadden, or. Yeah, Mac, McFadden. <laughs> McFadden. Yeah, the guy who plays the voice of father. Um, he is by turns, like, super smug or super angry and he's doing it in front of a lot of other people yes and nobody calls him on it and then tay diggs's character is like gleeful a bunch of the time yeah smiling all over his face with those famous teeth i was very confused whether or not because because obviously by the end we learn that uh that angus mcfadden has been feeling the whole time but I was very confused as to whether or not Tay Diggs was, because he is taking a delight in everything they do. But also, he's so charismatic, I don't care. 
Yeah. Tay Diggs <laughs> makes this movie for me on so many levels. Just like as soon as Tay Diggs was here, I was like, oh, this is going to be a ride. And it was. <laughs> and like everything about his character makes no sense. Like r- literally from the get go, he is displaying the most emotion on screen. And yeah. it doesn't make any sense. But that's okay. That's what's fun about this movie. Um, we had a couple other discussion topics. Well, first of all, Extremely inconsistent with his guidelines would constitute emotional expression from Nicole. Yeah, just to touch even deeper on that, we didn't really, we glossed over the fact that random things are contraband. Like, why the mirror frames? Individuality, man. Yeah, they. it doesn't serve any purpose for it to be ornate. It's ornate just to be pretty and aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, look, 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 look. We can we can then spend why a lot of time. The giant metropolis, all like beautifully designed. With of course, there's there's zeppelins. There's always zeppelins. Oh, I loved when there was like I'd forgotten <laughs> that there were zeppelins in this movie. And it's like, come on, an emotionless society. We would be logical enough to be like, this was a bad idea, right? But this <laughs> this is a, this is a movie where we could spend a lot of time digging into like, well, this person's obviously emoting, and like, why is this thing that like. You can't, and that's why I was saying, like, you, you can't spend too much time on the logic of this movie because the more you see it, the more you're like, well, what's the point of that? And that, <laughs> and that's no good. Like, you're not going to have fun with this movie if you try to understand the logic of it. Do you think that when when making a movie like this, someone like Kurt, is it Wimmer or Vinner? Is does he have a? It's uh, he's from America. So I would assume Wimmer. Wimmer, like Kurt Wimmer. Um, so this is a guy most known for being a writer, not a director. Um, <laughs> but for Total Recall, Thank all God. by new, new Total <laughs> well, Recall. Well, I, I think because his, the last few movies he directed made no money. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, but he also Ultraviolet's like a cult classic. I haven't seen it. Right, but like he wrote Salt and Law Abiding Citizen and The Point Break um, in 2015. And do you think this man knows? I guess that's my question. Is do you think he knows the brand of, of movie he's leaning into and thinks it's good? Or 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 knows that it's self aware and that it's absurd? Or do you think he or do you think when you're making a movie like this and you're a dude like Christian Bale or Sean Bean, a very accomplished actor, you're like, This is good. <laughs> I well okay so we have to look at where like we we were in a post matrix society uh all filmmaking can be divided up into <laughs> pre matrix and post matrix i guess is how i'm defining this and you know it's it's sort of like how we look at jupiter ascending and Mila kunis and shannon tatum were like well i don't get the script but i don't want to pass up the opportunity cuz the matrix was huge I think that's there's there might be a little bit of that here. Interesting. But do you think someone like Kurt Wimmer thinks that they're making strong cinema or do you think this is made with everyone involved under the impression of yeah this is absolutely absurd? This is That's always intrigued me about like ba- bad good movies. Yeah, this this is. Uh, I don't want to offend anybody here, but she's this gonna. Is, <laughs> but I'm probably gonna. This is like the slightly, to my mind, 
these are movies that are made for wealthy, white, slightly right-leaning men. Uh, you know, they're just a little bit... They're, there's action, and there's killing, and there's, like, oppressive states, and it's really deep, but it beats <laughs> you over the head with how deep it is. And it's just a little tiny bit fascist. And, you know... Yeah, that, that, our flag crazy. is... Totally not the Nazi flag, guys. <laughs> no, right. no. See, there's no like the the cross beams go like across both directions, not just the one. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I I think there's 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 something to 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 that uh, to a degree. I think you're I think you're right. It's a certain kind of film audience. This is for sure. This felt you know this felt weirdly like it had this it had the same vibe as like three hundred to me yeah i, I could totally see that for the same audience <laughs> i could i could totally totally see that uh though roger ebert said equilibrium would be a mindless action picture except that it has a mind it doesn't do a lot of deep thinking but unlike many futuristic combos of sound effects and fx it does make a statement what statement is it making that's a question from david that latter part what statement is it making <sighs> yeah that's Kind of my question. Fascism is bad, okay? <laughs> yeah. Emotions are good? <laughs> we, you must yeah. tear down the cellophane wrap on your window that keeps you from seeing how beautiful the sunset is. That was the yeah. deepest scene in the And movie. the rain. How beautiful the rain against the window is. And it's just yeah repressing your feelings is unnatural and you got to let it out man no matter whose feelings you might hurt by letting out everything that runs through your little brain right and and, and you got to take humanity the bad with the good right you can't just pick and choose and decide you want all or none exactly exactly uh, you got to take the the darkness with the light man did anyone almost rage quit this movie like i did when you thought a saint bernard puppy was about to die I th- was that a Saint Bernard? I thought it was a Bernie's Mountain Dog. Oh, Bernie's Mountain Dog, right, right, right. In any reason, for any, in any case, there's a purebred puppy out among all these street <laughs> right. dogs. <for> some <laughs> right, <reason. laughs> but it's so cute. It's so cute. And but Tay digs so- with the most earnest question: Do they eat them? <laughs> and that, honestly, that I loved. That so was good. like you yeah. are thinking the yeah, logic the, of the this movie. Puzzlement. <laughs> Yeah, like there, like there's parts in the script, and like there's parts. There are parts where this script gets it. Uh, when, when uh, uh, Sean Bean says to Christian Bale, "Like, are you sorry?" You know, because Christian Bale apologizes that fact that he has to shoot his friend. Uh, like, there's times where the movie gets it, and then times where the movie does not <laughs> at all. It's a little all over the place. Speaking of getting it, I was really surprised to well, first of all, that sounded totally different. Um, well, speaking of understanding things, uh, does Christian Bale's character and his name here, I will scroll down because John name Preston. Was John Preston. Does he not get that he shouldn't do the exact thing that caused him to discover his partner at the time? He didn't um, discover her. What no, no, mean? no. He he steals a book like his partner Sean. Oh, Bean oh, did. okay. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. He, yes. he lets off the caught. exact same red flags to Tay Diggs's character that Sean Bean let off to him. 
Like the stealing <sighs> the evidence, the saying that, you know, the whole, all the stuff that alerts Tay Diggs, like, oh, something's up. Literally, Partridge, yep. Sean Bean's character, did to him. I, you know, I honestly, this time watching it, I thought, how confusing would emotions be for the first time? Yeah, that's would, interesting. That like, I suppose, yeah, if you've been taking your drugs since childhood. I I do I really like really... I like the scene when he does have kind of an emotional breakthrough With listening to Beethoven yes. uh, and discovering these kind of artifacts of sorts at that point that were hidden away, you know, vinyl records and uh, turntables and art and, and books. And I, I thought that was like a shockingly poignant scene for a movie that otherwise has none of that uh, emotional yeah, there's, there's depth. Really nice. There's a really nice sequence yes. in the middle of different scenes where he's kind of waking up to the world and the beautiful things in it. You know, and it it culminates with this scene that's also ripped straight out of Metropolis, uh, <laughs> where like these hordes of people are going to work, and they're they're going. I guess they're going to get their prosium or something. Or they're all going up this staircase, and they are packed. You know, like wall to wall, and there's a a stair. You know, there's a handrail up the center of the staircase, and this woman is using the handrail and running her hand along it, and Preston takes off his glove so he can touch the rail after her and feel like the warmth of her hand left behind, you know, and it's really lovely. And I mean, the lighting is beautiful and the music is, is poignant and it's just, it's this beautiful restrained sequence in the movie. That's got no restraint anywhere else. (laughs) And that, and that is why And that is why I think this movie, like, because, you know, the action is fun. The actors are doing the best they can with what they've got. And there are some genuinely Mm. good sequences that it's just like, you know what? Okay, yeah, it's not perfect, but I could be watching way worse things. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just not sure that everybody thinks they're in the same movie. Yeah, I'm not sure Tay Diggs is in the same movie that Emily Watson is in. No, definitely not. No, <laughs> most certainly not. Um, a couple other and discussions. It's like, what is Emily Watson doing here? <laughs> right. Yeah, like e- Emily Watson, Sean Bean, and William Fickner are all in the same movie. I'm not sure which movie Christian Bale is in. I think he's moving back and forth between the Tay Diggs movie and the Emily Watson movie. <laughs> and he's our <laughs> connecting tissue. The mark, you know? well, the, yes, the mark of strong. That makes sense. The mark of strong directorial work. Everyone's in a different <laughs> movie. Um, <laughs> I did like. I, I this was kind of wild to me. The the father, who is the um, almost religious like figure that discovered uh, or pioneered um, the removal of emotions from society. Uh, uh, you know, they do the whole Wizard of Oz thing with them, and there's no man behind the curtain. There's actually, um, there's no at least giant. Um, I'm losing my metaphor here. He's not real. Uh, <laughs> it's been so a long like he died guys. years ago. He's, yes, he he's died the years ago. Roberts. Yeah, that's a better metaphor. Uh, and I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at the guy because they're still using like deep fake technology of him talking to people, and I'm like, what? I know that face. 
Yeah, oh, Sean. Yeah. Well, it's it's no, there is an actor that is credited as father. Right, it's Sean Pertwee. And the reason yeah. I knew his face was because he looks so much like his father, who is John Pertwee, the third doctor from Doctor Who. And that's oh. that was the connecting tissue for me. I was like, he, it's a very distinctive jaw structure and like the eyes and he looks so much like his dad i'm like that kind of looks like the doctor um so deep cut for classic doctor who fans there uh, i'd actually had no idea he was an actor um so but let's look at some of our other discussion topics here uh that's not how gunfights work and i just we, t- we mentioned the gung <laughs> fu thing look we, no, all I, right <laughs> but let Do me, you let talk me about mention gun let me mention one scene in particular and then we can go deep deep in this rabbit hole uh I have never in a movie seen a melee gunfight. And yeah. I'm trying to explain what this is for viewers that have not seen the movie. But they are with in hand's reach of one another, both holding guns, two guns each, just whacking each other's hands away in this like epic swirl of motion as they prevent each other from shooting the other one point blank. And it goes on for a while. And I have oh, yeah, never, ever seen a gunfight like that. Look, man, if you're watching this movie and like the gun scenes happen and you're like, oh, this is stupid. I don't know what to tell you because those <laughs> scenes rule. They're so wild. And I love yeah. them. It's just it's it yeah. doesn't even try to make sense. And that's kind of what I love about so much of this movie. I kind of love that it does try to make sense. There's a scene yes. where they're like teaching the clerics about gun kata. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that. And telling them that, you know, we've calculated, you know, we've computed like thousands and thousands of gunfights and projected trajectories for bullets and developed this sort of optimized pattern for moving through armed opponents where you hit the maximum number of people and do the maximum amount of damage while uh, evading the majority of their, you know, (laughs) their most likely return fire, which... I noticed this time involves a lot of actually standing perfectly still mm-hmm. and never yes. moving from where you are. Yeah. I, yes. Well, Which, you'll get 120% more efficient, as they say in the movie with Gun Kata. Um, yeah. I, I noticed that too, particularly in the scene where, uh, so Bale's character, Preston, goes to drive the dog back out into the outskirts, which they call the, the, the nether. nethers. Yep. The nethers. And he goes to drive the dog out there because he was able to save the dog from a brutal dog execution scene that we need not talk about. And uh, off screen, off screen, but all nonetheless, it's nonetheless, still, it's still yes, sad, but very you do sad. Hear the yip, you know. Yeah, that oh, yeah. does suck <laughs> multiple times because they do one by one. Okay. Um, yeah. And he, but he goes back to the nether. He's like, I got to just let this dog go again. Right. I don't know where I'm going to keep this dog. Um, and he can't do it. He, of course he can't, but he gets caught. He gets caught by a uh, troop of, of guys that are looking for art, I suppose, doing, you know, patrolling the nether as one does. And um, yeah, this, he ends up having to kill them. Branch. Special police branch. And the way in which he kills them, where he does that gun, foo thing of just standing still while whipping his hands well, around twice it's so absurd looking <laughs> twice in this movie 
Nameless, faceless guards surround him in a perfect circle. <laughs> they do the exact yeah. same thing. And he, he handles it the same way both times. Well, and it, no, like, one time so he flails them to death with like the butt of his gun. But, oh, I yeah. mean, here's a hint. If you and your comrades are all armed and you face each other in a circle to hit somebody in the middle, <laughs> there's going to be some friendly fire yes. damage done here. Okay. One of the most ridiculous scenes, yet also one of my... Fi- and also, I want to mention, all the stunts in this movie were done practically. Uh, Love it. They, they didn't use any like CGI. Like The, the, the point when he jumps and backflips over a... Uh, over a motorcycle is done with a trampoline. Uh, but the, the scene when two people are aiming shotguns at him and he knocks them and they swivel on their like handle. Right. <laughs> they shoot them. It's so stupid. But while I'm watching it, I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Do it. Yep. Oh, there's there's so much of that. I, I think my favorite absolutely batshit. There's no other word for it. Uh, VFX in this is where he slices Tay Diggs's face off. Yes. And it slowly <laughs> slides off. And like, this is one of those things where they put like a little half of a green cap on like the front part of Tay Diggs's face and then just s- slid it off. No blood, nothing like that. We're talking like about this as if you would think it's a bloody movie. It's really not. No. His face just slides right off as it does uh and it is so bad and what i love is that the movie has enough attention to detail that in subsequent shots when they're in that room you can see the face on the ground it's so good that's awesome i love it (laughs) i was too busy noticing how blindingly you know bright uh, Preston's outfit stays even after yes. slicing through dozens of people with a katana. <laughs> what I loved when they all walked up to him and all of them are pointing the handles of their katanas at him. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, I'd forgotten how he got a katana in the scene, but as soon as they did that, I'm like, well, he's just going to take one. Come on, guys. Draw those before you approach. <laughs> Be smart about this. Yeah, gosh, I don't even remember how he got the katana. It's just like one second in the movie. He's that was ceremonial, going to going to uh, have no. a an audience with father. But don't they then no, no, take no, no, it? No, no, but they but they take his away, and then he takes one from one of those from like standing behind the circle of pillars in this room. Like eight people walk out with katanas. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's it's ceremonial. I mean, that's something I actually didn't question because like the part of like the the na- the US naval dress uniform is a sword. So, it's completely it's, impractical, but it's still part of the uniform. Sure. I will say that I did I enjoyed how quickly he dispatched Tay Diggs. Oh, that there was, is Oddly satisfying. Oh, so much so. You think it's going to be a giant fight with Tay Diggs and they're going to katana fight. None of that. Right. No, it's the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, pulling out his gun and shooting the swordsman thing. Yeah. 100%. It's great. Oh, absolutely love it. Is this movie peak early 2000s? What does that mean? I mean, okay. Like you as know, I said you earlier, know it when you see it, I think this is pre pre Matrix, post Matrix. Everyone's in dark trench coats. Everyone's hair is slicked back. It is 
you know, it is very much the style of the, I think the style of cool that got adopted by the early two thousands. Like it, if these people were wearing sunglasses, they would have gotten cease and desist letters from <laughs> the Wachowskis. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And I mean, it's, it's absolutely true that after the matrix, everybody was like, you know, the matrix knocked everybody on their ass. In 1999, they went to go see it. Jaws dropped all over the audience when Trinity jumps in the air and stays there while the camera rotates around her. And um, everybody was just like, this is the coolest movie I've ever seen. Therefore, these are the cool. These are the coolest costumes I've ever seen for a movie. Therefore, this is the coolest aesthetic ever for a movie. Therefore, we're going to use it in our movie and see if we can't make a bunch of money. Well, and and to be like to be fair to this movie, The Matrix had three times this movie's budget, so Absolutely. you know we can't we can't fully compare because they're playing in different no. playgrounds. Yeah, no, this is definitely playing on a a, a mid budget uh, sci fi playground here instead of a big budget, and it it shows. But I mean, it's also I think it's really aesthetically attractive yeah, for the budget it, this movie has. It shows, but it never overextends itself. Yes. I, I will say I don't think that the dystopian city cityscapes are part. They haven't held up very particularly well. <laughs> um, no, they're all digital. They, they mm-hmm. are the worst looking part of the movie by far. Yeah, and for me, like definitely. that early 2000s science fiction, um, there's a style to it that is very akin to modern or the last couple years of just sci-fi original films like it's like like our indie like our our movies that get a five million dollar budget can kind of match what this was doing in well, as yeah, a major bu- budget picture well it's 18 years difference <laughs> right I, right i wish they'd kept more of the the skeleton of paris under this city digital city that they've built because this is paris there's a scene where um, he goes to find his partner, you know, Sean Bean uh, Partridge, and he's in the ruins of Notre Dame, sitting reading his Yeats poetry. Um, and why that's still allowed to stand, I don't know, but it does, and I think it would be, <laughs> it it would have helped the effects to keep more of. Maybe not the, you know, not the more beautiful parts of Paris, but some of the more pedestrian parts of Paris well, to actually, give it a little uh, bit more flavor. A lot of it was shot in um, in Berlin as well. Oh, because, I'm sure it was shot in Berlin, but it's it's yeah. supposed to be Paris. Is it? Okay, yeah. Because, yeah, there's they use the Olympic Stadium uh, from Berlin. They use mm-hmm. the uh, Brandenburg Gate. They use the Berlin... Uh, Tempelhof Airport, other places mm-hmm. that my German is not good enough for me to competently uh, pronounce on this podcast after this much wine. So <laughs> no, it's it's all very Bauhaus Art Deco aesthetic with a lot of right angles and concrete and uh, black and white and gray. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do want to touch on that scene briefly in in Notre Dame. Uh, it's such a wonderful example of trying to take a wonderful piece of 
literature to make your movie feel deep uh, and just mm-hmm. kind of falling on the face, but also I appreciate it. Like they, they take a piece from, you know, the wind among the reeds and, and it's all about, you know, I, this person that you've, you've, you've spread your dreams out for them so they can, they can walk over them, right? Like you've given your dreams to them and they can tread on your dreams. And there's, there's a through line of Sean being questioning him if he even dreams and does he even know what it's like to dream? And does he know what it's like to care about something like that? Like you would have to care about somebody to feel that metaphor, you know, in that way. And it just doesn't land. <laughs> and at least oh, really? not for me, it's not the right poem to pick. Oh. Right. But it was yeah. like the attempt, the attempt was so admirable. Like it's the, we're going to pick a poem from 1899 and it's a beautiful poem, <laughs> but it was just the wrong <laughs> pick. I, yeah, it it sounds like something that you would tell someone when you're stoned. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> on my dreams, man. Sure my dreams, man. <laughs> Stepping on my dreams. But I I appreciate that Sean Bean gets to decide how he goes out. You know, he yes, he doesn't he he doesn't want to get incinerated. He knows what's waiting for him is death anyway. So why not just die right now? And I respect yeah. it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this movie. <laughs> I'm like, I. That's kind of how I feel after watching it. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to so bring many up. Shot reverse shot where you get like people's facial expressions as they're about to die or they're about to kill mm-hmm. somebody. And well, I know at one point it zooms in on Christian Bale's eye as we see. Uh, uh, I forget her name. Mary um, O'Brien. Mary O'Brien about to get incinerated. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And we uh, can't open the door because then the flames it, will go out onto the what street. What a poorly designed system. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <sighs> I also do love, I was I was flipping through some trivia for the film and just found the, the weirdest things that so perfectly align with the kind of movie and the way I expected this to be made, such as the fact that the director did invent this style of gunfighting in his backyard in by his himself. In his backyard. Oh. Which the best part of is so course. great. Also, in in incredibly unnecessary fashion, the puppy used in the movie, a Bernie's Mountain Dog, the noise it makes, however, by well, barks, whines, yelps, weren't made by the dog at all, but by an actor who specializes in dog impersonations. Is it Frank <laughs> Welker? Yeah, I was about to ask. <laughs> he like, kind of like legitimately people listening to this go look up frank welker and you will be surprised at how many movies he has been in where his role is just animal sound interesting yeah yeah and the other thing i found interesting that we haven't touched on as much is this movie leans really heavily and shamelessly into made up science fiction words for both a society and jobs. Like they're called the grammaton clerics. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. what makes good sci-fi, man. <laughs> and they and like, work what is their the society called? What? There's like the tetra something or tetragrammaton is the, like the governing yeah. uh, body, the policing agency. Right, but then Libria is the is the name of the yeah, city. Yeah, Libria is the country. Libria, and there's the Grammaton clerics. I don't, dude. You're acting like these are problems. No. Yeah, this is it, all working for me. <laughs> yeah, I have trouble making fun of it too much because of that. Right, like because it is so earnest and it's and it's 
intensity. I, I love it. It does ring to me, though, like the kind of movie a high school English teacher would show in class to try to spark a discussion of individuality and why it's important. Though I don't know if you'd get the parents sure. sign off on this one. I think it would have to be a young teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's, you know, as somebody who used to be on a school committee, I can tell you that the new teachers who'd come in every year looked like infants to me. <laughs> they were like 22 years old, fresh out of teaching college and, you know, just got their certificates. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, no, I left this building four years ago. What are you doing back no, here teaching? I remember that my uh, my English teacher in high school, starting sophomore year, Elizabeth Diarcos. You're not listening to this, but hello, Elizabeth. You've made a huge <laughs> impact on my life. And uh, I remember, you know, for me being a, a sophomore, fifteen to sixteen, was like, oh, this is an adult. But my mom told me later when she first saw her, she was like, is that a student? Is that oh, someone who's my, like attending class here? My fiance gets that all the time. She gets oh. like security at her school that thinks she's a student. She has to whip she out. She has a very dad. youthful face, which she will prize thirty years from now. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we digress. Uh, do we want to mention anything about the the cinematographer uh, Dion? Is it Bebe or I don't know like Beeb? I thought Beeb. No, this is this is a really lovely shot film. I I agree with you completely on that, Nicole. Yeah, he's he has had the most eclectic career, which, you know, you guys talk about it for a second while I bring it up on <laughs> my phone because I don't have it right in front of me. at the Well, moment. he so he he worked in the same year he worked on Chicago, which oh, is a yeah. wonderfully shot movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, things like Collateral, Memoirs of a Geisha, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. The, uh, Green Lantern, which we won't mention that one, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say the <laughs> other part, <laughs> the other parts of his filmography are you know he did mary poppins returns which by all account is a lovely film mm-hmm. but he also did you know the snowman and uh gangster squad Look, and they can't all be winners <laughs> i mean gangster squad was a, a pretty film it was not a good film but it was yeah, a pretty film right yeah you can't argue i, I mean even even green lantern which oof. i did not see it <laughs> uh Oof! Wait, Brett, have you ever seen Green Lantern? I have not. No. Oh man, that might be coming out of this podcast. <laughs> but I can't necessarily say it was a bad-looking film. You know, it was two hundred million dollars at the time. Yeah. 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 Well, does is <laughs> looking looking back on this movie, eighteen years removed, yeah. uh, is this something people should revisit? What do you guys think? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) It's really fun. At the very least, you know, yeah, at the very least, like if you're at a party drinking with a group of friends, put this movie on in the background and people be like, wait, what is it? And then like one of the gunfighting scenes will come on and look, what, wait, what, what What movie is this? Where have I not seen this? Why, why don't I know about this? No, absolutely. It's, it's ridiculous. And we, you know, we've talked about how the logic of it kind of falls apart. But when you're watching it, you're just like, yeah, I'm in. Cool. Let's do this. <laughs> and I mean, Christian Bale, he commits. He commits to this yes, part. Yes, he does. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, he does. So, no, and no, he, it, he, even he's, if he's it means making 
like really weird faces sometimes because this is the first time he's feeling, you know, this kind of anguish or um, panic or sorrow. And his know. upper lip Just that never let moves. Let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, you know, he's good at, at schooling his face, I guess. So. But, For sure. uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you it's, on that, Nicole. Yeah, I mean, this, to me, this falls into the same category as Reign of Fire mm-hmm. and The Fifth Element and Jupiter Ascending, which is, it's trying to do something, it's got an interesting voice, it's pretty to look at, and it's dumb, but I don't care. <laughs> yep, 100%. Yep. <laughs> It's really fun. And also, it's worth mentioning, like, we're talking about it as this dystopian science fiction film. And the lore of the movie, we're not terribly far removed from it. Um, It happens just in the early 21st century. I believe that the 2070s is when the movie takes place uh, after a World War Three. Sure. Sure. And and that's when the Grammaton or the Tetragrammaton or the Tetris, they come to power and, and and yeah. Um, it's vague enough to you know that if if anything happens, we're gonna be like, yeah, this movie produced like it predicted the future. But in uh, in most likelihood, we'll just be like, yeah, that was a fun dumb movie. <laughs> yeah, Agreed. I mean, there's probably some Greek or Greek roots to you know grammaton and tetragrammaton and whatever that I did find that out actually. Makes and sense. if you Ooh. hold for two seconds, I had it in my notes <laughs> and I have now taken down. Um, no, there's actually. Um, a tie to, to Judaism. Oh. Here it is. Yeah, so Tetragrammaton, translation, word with four letters, uh, is actually a word <laughs> used in Judaism as a reference to the name of God, Yahweh, which is spelled Y-H-W-H. It's Yahweh. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. So there you go. Yeah, because you're not actually supposed to say or write the name of God directly mm-hmm. if you're a um strict observing jew you're not supposed to to do that i f- from what i understand and you go around it you know a lot of times they'll write g hyphen d to stand in for god um right so that is interesting so it's just so the tetragrammaton is is literally like we are god you're gonna listen to what we tell you to do yep yep well, guys, gotcha. Equilibrium, we watched at Netflix Roulette. Uh, if you'd like to watch the movie, of course, it's on Netflix. But next week, we have Future Classics. We announced it at the top of the show, and it'll be in the show notes as well, so you can follow along <sighs> with whatever it is we watch. I haven't picked yet, guys. I'll send you slacks tonight. This is what happens when you forget, and you're filming a podcast in an hour. Uh, David Luzader, where can people find you online? Uh, people can find me around the internet uh, under the username Davluz. That's D-A-V-L-U-Z. Twitter will get you everything you need. Very good. What about you, Nicole? I take care of our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Podcast. Very good. You can email the show. Have you seen Equilibrium? Did you go and watch it after our conversation? We'd love to hear from you. Hi, H-I at MGRpodcast.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Brett Stewart, at I am Brett Stewart. I'll do it for myself, David, and Nicole. We will see you with future classics next week. <laughs> <laughs>